The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Michael Graff Show. Hello, how come I rich and you not? How come you not sell real estate like I do? How come I sleep with your wife while you at work and then I pee in your toilet and don't flush? And sometimes I open the back part and I pee in there so that when you flush, pee come out. You know why? Because I'm smart. I'm smart, you stupid. Michael Graff. We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. Okay, okay, let's try to watch the language. There's children present, yeah? That's right. One in ten support D's nuts for present. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Hey, that's just a regular unattractive guy who's not famous. If it's a legitimate rape, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. And you're an idiot. Ah! At the tone, the time will be 26 Railroad. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, that's what gay is? Oh, yeah, I could totally get into that. The following program is in the hands of a guy whose professional and personal lives are about as depressing as the idea of Donald Trump with access to the nuclear codes. From his exile in the urban desert, it's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. kind of weird being in here again. It is the zip code famous Michael Graff show on a Friday, September 22nd, 2017. And I'm here because this could very well be the last time I ever get to do a podcast. It could be the last time you ever get to hear it. In fact, as unsettling as this might be, I might be the very last voice you ever hear. Tomorrow is doomsday, after all. And rather than preparing for the end, here I am after a very, very long hiatus from doing this. How long has it been? Uh, Almost, uh, well, it's been over a year and a half since we've been here. And rather than preparing for the end and saying goodbye to friends and family and uh, enjoying up, uh, soaking in the last few rays of sun that I'll ever get, here I am doing this dopey show again. Yeah, it was uh, weird. While I was preparing to do this, I kept seeing these stories about this doomsday. There's, you know, the usual kooks are out again with their apocalyptic stuff because it's been a while. Uh, this is probably about the 10th time since I've been alive where I've heard news coverage, actual conversation outside of some crazy religious guy or whatever that says that it, the end of the world is upon us. I remember about the time Haley's Comet came by, 1986. That was one time where they told us that the end of the world was near. And there was another time in the 80s, several times in the 90s, that Hale Bop Comet, that Shoemaker Levy, that was another comet that came by that was supposed to signal the end of the world. Of course, Y2K, or as I often call that, the biggest hype non story that ever existed. Yeah, that was a, a big bunch of nothing, Y2K. They said, oh, all the computers are going to switch back to 1900 and it's going to cause panic and it's all the power is going to go out because all these computer systems are so stupid. They're set up in such a bad way that uh, if they see 1900, they'll all shut off. All of the nuclear launch codes, all of the uh, missiles, all the silos will open. All the missiles will be released. Elevators will stop. Will stop. Your digital watch won't work anymore. Uh, even your microwave will explode, spontaneously combust. But don't worry, they would tell us, Microsoft is going to fix everything. They'll have a patch out for Windows. We were running Windows 98 at the time. 
Windows 98 was the operating system that if you press the tilde key, the damn thing would blue screen. Never mind if it was the year Y2K, that thing would crash on like July 5th, 1998. So I don't know why anybody was making a big deal about that. And of course, then the year 2012, the Mayan calendar and everyone said that was going to be the year of the big apocalypse and the poles would reverse and solar flares would hit the earth and the ground would open up and there'd be earthquakes and these huge storms and it would be the end of civilization as we knew it because the Mayans foretold of that. They were even giving us an exact date there. It was December 21st, 2012. That was going to be the end of all of us. The only thing that came out of 2012 that was a disaster was the movie 2012. That thing has got to be top five worst movies of all time. It's right up there with San Andreas and the Dungeons and Dragons movie as maybe the biggest wastes of two hours you're ever going to have in your entire life. I mean, there's such a thing as suspending disbelief when you watch a movie. But to, to watch this movie, you would have had to not only suspend disbelief, but your entire brain. You would have just had to cut off everything but your brainstem. The only thing you could do is have a heartbeat and breathe to watch that movie and not go, oh, come on. That was the movie where the ground opened up while they were driving along. And then as you'd go around a curve and the ground would open up and try to swallow them even around a corner. It just follow them along. That was absolutely unwatchable. I somehow sat through most of that, and I was just like, ugh. I've seen that movie on TV a handful of times, and every time, I can't help but actually sit there and watch it because it's so bad. It's so bad that it's almost worth hate-watching. It's just like San Andreas. I would actually recommend people watch that. And those movies actually serve a pretty good purpose. If you're on a first date, for example, and you ask someone, hey, What's your favorite movie? And they say to you, oh, San Andreas, man, or, or 2012. You know right there that they have a terrible taste in movies. You can just get up, walk out. The date's over at that point. They're not worth pursuing a relationship with. It's just like if you say, what's your favorite band or who's your favorite singer? And they say Kanye West. I mean, that's it. You're done. You just saved yourself some money. You saved yourself a whole bunch of time and heartache. But anyway, circling back around to where we were. Uh, the end of the world, the apocalypse. Our very reason for doing this podcast today is because the end of the world is upon us. And think about it. There are legitimate reasons that someone might think so. After all, the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Donald Trump became the president of the United States. That in and of itself uh, is clearly a sign that things are not right. We've had all these hurricanes and earthquakes. We had two earthquakes in Mexico in the last two weeks. We had Harvey uh, devastate Southeast Texas and Louisiana. We had Irma that devastated the Caribbean and parts of Florida and the Southeast U.S. We had Jose out there. There's Maria that destroyed Puerto Rico. So certainly there are people that are going to use that as leverage. And of course, then there's legitimate news outlets. Yeah, they may not be taking it very seriously, but there are legitimate news outlets reporting on this as well. Uh, I came across a few of them while doing show prep. And again, they're not handling it seriously. They're not giving this the seriousness it deserves. But like, here's one, for the example. The end of the world is said to be coming on Saturday, but don't cancel your plans just yet. They have fun music According going. to the Washington Post, David Mead, a self-described researcher, claims doomsday is coming. By the way, that David Mead, that is the guy that every few years is always talking about Planet X coming to kill us all. 
some mythical planet, some planet that's coming out of nowhere. It comes out of a wormhole or something. It's like our ninth planet or tenth planet, if you believe Pluto is a planet. But anyway, it's the other planet in our solar system that, you know, nobody talks about. And this is the guy that says it's going to hit us. And every time he's wrong. And then for some reason, people still give him attention after that. But anyway, let's continue here. Mead said in a video the world will end after the arrival of a mythical planet, which is said to be heading towards Earth. Yeah. The video has been viewed over three million times, leaving lots of people questioning whether his claim is real or not. Lots of people questioning that. Like, how many people are out there going, yeah, I wonder, you know, if the end of the world's really going to happen this time. Hey, this there's like 10 other videos of that guy claiming that the world was going to end in 2009 and 2005 and... 2011 and 12 and yet people are still giving him attention right now i guess including myself so i'm partially to blame too but nasa senior scientist david morrison debunked the apocalyptic claim the planet is famous in conspiracy circles but nasa astronomers say it doesn't exist so despite multiple conspiracy theories over the years nasa says the planet still does not exist and it is not heading towards earth come to our facebook page and let your friends know oh, not sure. to fret Sunday Funday will come once again from the digital desk. Sunday Funday. Back to you. Sunday Funday will come. Th -th 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 -th. Settle down, lady. But anyway, the point is, is that uh, I, I, I just can't believe that anybody is actually giving this guy any serious attention or that any of these stories get any serious attention. What's really weird about these stories is you can just go outside and see if they're full of crap or not. Just look up at the sky. Like this morning, about 4.45, I'm outside and I can see Venus is above the horizon in the east. And last night, shortly after sunset, it must have been about 7 o'clock or so, you can see Jupiter. It's over there on the west or northwest uh, part of the sky. And Jupiter's got to be, what, about 400-something million miles away. And so I'm figuring, well, if I can see Jupiter, and that's over 400 million miles away, with my naked, legally blind eye... I would imagine that I would be able to see a planet that's hurling at us at incredible speed that's going to be hitting us on Saturday. Don't you think I'd be able to see that? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. These guys just don't think this stuff through. So anyway, there you go. That's the end of the world stuff. What I want to know about these stories also is why aren't these guys publicly shamed after their forecasts of doom don't come to fruition? And incidentally, I hope that it's not the apocalypse this weekend because looking at the weather here in Phoenix, this is some of the nicest late September weather we've had in a long time. Sunny and 85 on Saturday, sunny 87 on Sunday. That sounds absolutely perfect. But why aren't these guys publicly shamed and ridiculed to the point where they're never allowed to make another prediction again? That's what I want to know. No, oh, well. And you want to talk about the apocalypse. Let's talk about this health care bill that's going through Congress right now. I don't even know what we're supposed to call this thing. If it's Trump care, Republican care, we don't care, nightmare care, whatever it is, this thing is an absolute hideous abomination. And I get it. Look, Obamacare was not great. We can all agree on that. The thing was just a bad idea because, uh, honestly, it got watered down. And even the Democrats that tried to get uh, a more universal health care solution, they couldn't get that through. And the people that really won in Obamacare were the people that have chronic conditions that they would have to spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on health care. 
or the insurance companies. And understand that no matter what, any piece of health legislation that's pushed through, the insurance companies are always going to win. That's just the golden rule to any legislation that involves health care. Given that, though, this uh, current piece of legislation by the Republicans is just a nightmare and a half. Man, pretty much anybody that uh, could, that would have been benefiting or that is benefiting now the most from Obamacare, like, you know, the veterans that get sent off to all these wars that, uh, that we keep sending them to, that Obama and Bush and Trump keep sending them to, you know, the ones that the Republicans claim most that they're all about the troops and rah, rah, yay troops and yay army and yay military and support our troops and all that. Well, guess what? They're the ones that get hurt the most by this kind of legislation because they don't get the good coverage that they need. Have you seen this legislation? Really what it comes down to is at the end of the day, veterans and the disabled are going to be hurt the most by this uh, whatever this nonsense is that the Republicans are proposing. And I just love it because the Republicans are the ones that, of course, support increasing military spending and sending our troops over to God knows where for God knows whatever reason. And I understand Obama did it, too. But I'm just saying Republicans are all about increasing the military spending and sending our troops over there. And then when they come home and they need health care because, you know, they've had their legs and arms blown off. Uh, nope. Sorry. Uh, you get minimal. You get garbage health care. You get whatever's in the VA, which is just pitiful. And the disabled, too. People that have chronic issues, they get screwed by this as well. Nice job. Way to take care of your, your tired and your poor and your huddled masses and all of that. Good job. You know, it's not even that. I'll tell you what, that pisses me off. But you know what really gets me about this, too? Is that the Republicans had seven years to come up with a plan. They were so upset about Obamacare and they were so just up in arms. Oh, we're going to repeal and replace this thing. We'll come up with something better. And they've had seven years to prepare. And then Donald Trump gets in office and he's like, all right, we're going to we're going to repeal Obamacare, but we're going to have something even better. We're going to have the best health care anywhere in the world. And it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be huge. People are going to want to come to the United States. They're going to have to climb over the big wall that I build. But I'm also going to build a big, beautiful door in that wall. So as long as you're not Mexican or maybe from China, you can come over here and, and take in some of the best health care, the bigliest health care that we have anywhere in the world. It's going to be great. So, okay. All right. I'm all about it. Let's see. Let's see what you got, Republicans. Repeal and replace. Here we go. Woo. And you know what it's like? It's like the kid that gets the assignment that's due three months later, like a big research paper. And the kid waits till the night before to do the assignment. That's what this legislation looks like to me. It's like it's just scribbled together. Mitch McConnell's just like, well, I'll just write something down in a cocktail napkin and I'll, I'll propose that. All right. Well, good job, Mitch. Good job, Mitch. And good job, uh, Lindsey Graham. You guys really did a fantastic job. So uh, they're having a hard time getting the votes together for this. Well, that's surprising because this thing is a piece of dog shit. And should have never been pushed forward in the first place. The whole thing is just completely nuts. And not just the health care bill either, but the entire political climate right now is just completely topsy-turvy. Uh, you just want to escape sometimes and watch some of these uh, nightly talk shows. So I turn on Jimmy Kimmel and he's all serious now about this stuff. And believe me, I'm not even saying he's doing a bad job. Jimmy Kimmel has actually turned into the voice of reason about this stuff. 
He's calling out congressmen. He's telling people that they're liars. He's trying to get guys to, to shape up a little bit. He's calling out the media when they're full of crap. Jimmy Kimmel has done a great job, but sometimes you just want to hear some dick jokes or some poop jokes, and you want to get away from all this nonsense that's out there, all this serious stuff, and you can't even do that there because, well, I know Jimmy Kimmel is more directly affected by this than others because I guess he has a son that has had to have heart surgeries or whatever, and, and this has just become a nightmare for him. Now, I mean, he can afford good health care, but he has met a lot of people that can't, and obviously this is something that has affected him emotionally to the point where he's talking about it. So we've gone to the point where Jimmy Kimmel is the voice of reason. Listen, if you do want to escape, I guess there is still Jimmy Fallon. Uh, I don't know if I'd call that escape. That's a guy that uh, you you will get uh, diabetes. 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 Yeah, that's what you'll get when you watch Jimmy Fallon. The guy is, you thought Jay Leno was a kiss ass and a suck up. Uh, Jimmy Fallon is just like sugary sweet to the point. It's just insanity. Oh, hey, he's like a puppy dog that's just happy that someone's petting him or somebody's hanging around. Yeah, hey, it's so good to have you here. Oh, man, I'm just so happy that you're here, Kim Jong-un. So great. Donald Trump, man, so great of you to stop by. Thanks, man. Uh, Jimmy, I know it's great of me to be here. I, I appreciate that. Really big honor for you to have me on. But um, I, I've heard that you're made of sugar and spice. Uh, just a giant mound, a tremendous, a bigly mound, a wall, a 2,000 mile long wall size of sugar and cocaine. And I just want some. I'm going to lick you, Jimmy. You're like a human pixie stick. And I just, I want a little bit of that. So I guess that's your escape. There, if you want an escape, you can watch Jimmy Fallon. God, you can puke from too much sweetness on the t on TV. <laughs> Like, I, listen, believe me, I like positive. I, I like some positive stuff now and then, but the guy is just nothing but. It was like Jay Leno. Jay Leno could have Hitler on. Fine, I understand that you uh, wrote a new book, and I, I hear that you're, uh, you have some political aspirations. Well, Jay, after I can take over the world, I would love you in my court. I would love you to be my jester or perhaps my personal entertainer when I take over this place. I really thought of enjoying that. You don't say anything negative about anyone, do you? Oh, of course not. You know, there's no, you know, there's no bad blend between me and anybody else. I, you know, everybody let bygones be bygones. As far as I'm concerned, you know, you know, whatever. Man, how the Tonight Show has really fallen off from Johnny Carson then to Jay Leno and Jimmy Fallon. It's hard to believe it's been over 25 years since Johnny Carson retired, and he's been dead for what 10 years now, Johnny Carson, maybe more. It's crazy. So um, the political landscape has changed so much. And I don't even talk politics with people anymore. Never mind looking for an escape. I don't talk politics with more than maybe it's probably about five or six people that I'll still talk about it with because they're rational and reasonable. And even if we disagree, we can do so in a way that's not just absolutely nightmarish to talk about. But I don't do it on social media much anymore because that's that's a minefield right there. And I think that's half of the problem is that people are just, well, I mean, we have a president that is a keyboard warrior. He is a Twitter warrior. But then once he gets in front of people, like when he was talking to the Democrats last week, he supposedly struck a deal. And I guess they thought that they may have had some compromise with him. And then, of course, he comes out later and he's like, uh, absolutely not. No. Uh, once I'm up here behind the microphone or when I've got my Twitter going, no, uh, 
There was no deal. Wrong. Fake news. That was all fake news that we had a, uh, any sort of deal going. No, did not happen. But then he goes and talks to Republicans and he, he's talking tough to them. But then when he gets back out there, well, you know, we're going to we're working it all out. Yeah, we got it all planned. Donald Trump at this is not only like some sort of egomaniac and bombastic, but he's also a weasel at the same time. I don't know how you can be bombastic and a bully and a weasel simultaneously, but he is. And so, I don't know, people that are worried that things are going to go even worse and that we're going to have all this crazy legislation, I don't know if that's really going to be the case because he's going to promise one side one thing and then the other side something else and then he's going to say something completely different to the American people and nothing is still going to get done. That's probably the, the best solution that could happen right now is nothing. And then there's North Korea, and that's the area where a lot of people are probably the most concerned. And Donald Trump gave a speech to the United Nations the other day about North Korea. And if I'm being objective here, it wasn't even that bad because he didn't speak extemporaneously. He didn't go into classic Trump mode about it necessarily. He just sort of said, yes, uh, we'll destroy North Korea if they decide to fire at us. So, and I don't have a problem with that part necessarily. I know a lot of people are pissed off about it, but that's not really my problem. Then he gets into this war of words, and of course he goes on Twitter, and you know he's back and forth with Kim Jong Un about it, and um, and and the news just erupts with that, and then there's going to be sanctions. Here's a story about that. We had a war of words, but we also had some tightening economic sanctions from the U.S. side. Remember, there were those U.N. implied uh, applied sanctions back on September the 11th. Yesterday, though, the United States, uh, in the form of a new executive order from President Trump, announced tightened sanctions against North Korea on its own as well. Uh, here are the specifics of what we know, in, in both in terms of trade and also in terms of financial institutions. On trade, it targets shipping and trade networks. So there's a 180-day ban on vessels and aircraft that have visited North Korea uh, bans them from visiting the United States in that time period. Uh, it also targets industries including construction, energy, textiles, information technology, mining, and manufacturing. It gives Treasury the authority to impose sanctions on any foreign financial institution that's conducting business with North Korea and also the authority to block any funds that are originating from, destined for, or passing through accounts linked to North Korea. So, that is an expansive new package of authorities for the United States Treasury. To I don't have a problem with sanctions necessarily, except for the fact that this is not going to stop the guy from test firing nukes. And I don't think China is going to completely stop doing business with him. Maybe they will. I, I guess they will. Maybe they see that we're pretty serious about it. And I think they've tried to calm him down and he's just not going to have any of it. So to use against North Korea. Uh, importantly, though, the U.S. government said that the Chinese uh, central bank had sent a message to Chinese banks uh, requiring them uh, to abide by those U.N. sanctions in terms of deals with North Korea. So that could be an important new area of cooperation uh, between Beijing and Washington. All of that frustrating to Pyongyang, North Korea lashing out, the North Korean leader issuing a statement last night. Here's what he said uh, in typical North Korean fashion. The rhetoric is kind of flowery. He said, on behalf of the dignity and honor of my state and people and on my own, I will make the man holding the prerogative of the supreme command in the U.S. pay dearly for his speech calling for totally destroying the North Korean side. I will surely and definitely tame the mentally deranged U.S. dotard 
with fire. So North Korea responding there with some fiery rhetoric, sort of matching the president's fiery rhetoric of earlier in the week in which he threatened to totally destroy North Korea if it came to a military conflict. We'll see now whether that presages any kind of North Korean military response, another nuclear test or a missile launch or some of the things that we've seen over the past several months, Joe. Yeah, so of course, Kim Jong-un calls Donald Trump a daughtered, and people in this country, a lot of the illiterates around here see the word d-o-t-a-r-d and they go hey that's one of them north korean words calling him retarded first of all don't dare insult retarded people by dare comparing them to donald trump i mean that is just you know that's an insult against the mentally handicapped secondly uh, i think maybe we deserve to get nuked if our citizens don't even know what words mean and that it's not calling somebody retarded if I remember correctly, daughtered means like being an old man, like a senile old man. So, and that's what, I think that's kind of funny that Kim Jong-un calls him that. Meanwhile, I do think that Kim Jong-un should probably be blown off the map or we should have somebody go over there and assassinate him. I don't care about the Truman Doctrine at this point. Yeah, probably we shouldn't have this guy waving a loaded gun, i.e. missiles around and just firing them off indiscriminately doing these tests knowing that he is promising to fire one of them at the United States and at our allies. Uh, so I, I think probably we should do something about him, but of course, probably nothing will come of it. I think it's going to take a nuclear attack or some kind of attack against this country or one of our territories or one of our allies before we wake up and realize that this guy is an actual threat. Meanwhile, we're chasing the boogeyman over there in Syria and uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and whatever. And I know people are going to say, well, there are real terrorists over there, Mike. There's degree, you know, better to fight them over there than over here. And uh, we do. There's real threats over there. And and, and, and and there's the Taliban and there's the, the, the Al-Qaeda and there's the, the Hezbollah and all these... You know, we're just stirring up a hornet's nest over there. We've been in Afghanistan for how long now? Uh, 16 years, right? And what have we really accomplished? Well, we've killed off some Taliban dudes. And uh, uh, that's it. As far as I know, we've, we've killed some people. We've dropped a bunch of bombs. We've certainly turned a, a lot of that country into a crater. And what we've done is we've managed to take people that were born in Afghanistan in the last 16 years, and they've, they've been growing up and watching their country continuously getting bombed, and they're seeing that the United States are occupying their country, and they don't know the exact reason why. They just know that we're there for some reason. And what it's doing is it's festering hate for another generation toward the United States for a reason that they don't even understand why. And quite honestly, a lot of us in this country don't understand why. We just look at that region and some of us go, well, there's a bunch of towel heads over there, so we just gonna keep on bombing them towel heads. Take that, Ryan. And some of us over here are like, hey, maybe we should stop doing that because we don't even really know what the objective is anymore. It's not like we're fighting a nation. It's not like we're fighting an, uh, a combatant wearing a specific uniform. We're fighting against an idea, and we don't even really know why anymore. But we have Kim Jong-un. We have this fat guy saying, I, I've got a loaded gun. I'm pointing it at you. I'm actually going to shoot you with it once I kind of figure this whole thing out. And we're like, well, we're just not going to allow you to have any of our cashmere sweaters anymore. We're just not going to trade with you anymore, you bad man. You're just so bad. Now, if you'll excuse us, we're just going to go bomb some more ragheads for a while. 
It just doesn't make sense. Our foreign policy, well, it never makes sense. And again, it doesn't matter whether it's Trump or Obama or Bush or Clinton or Reagan or the other Bush or Carter. Our foreign policy hasn't made sense for a long time. It really hasn't. I don't know why we don't just leave the rest of the world alone and fix our own goddamn problems. And we have a lot of them. Like, you know, all the veterans from the stupid wars that we've been fighting that come home and they're psychologically damaged and physically damaged and we do nothing for them. And the disabled people that we have in this country and we are doing the minimum for them. And, uh, you know, all the people that are on welfare and food stamps and government assistance. And we uh, apparently we're just content with letting them have the status quo and we're not really doing anything to help them. Uh, beyond just giving them more food stamps and having them continue to rely on the government rather than help them get jobs. I don't know what we're doing in this country anymore. And by the way, we also have an infrastructure problem in this country. You know, our power grid. Hurricane Irma really did a great job at exposing our rather poor infrastructure. Now, I understand that there's nothing you can really do when a hurricane of that size and strength comes over a state. It's going to knock out power. There isn't anything that we could have done to stop that entirely. But to be prepared for it and to have a power grid that's ready and to be able to get in there and fix things in a more expedited fashion. And again, it's not the fault of of FPL necessarily, although I do have a beef with uh, the way Florida has things set up in a lot of ways. And maybe I'll get into that today and maybe that's another time. But uh, there's a lot of things that we can do for our power grid in general and our refinery system, and our pipeline system, and our road system. There's a lot of improvements that we can make here at home before we start dropping bombs on people uh, for reasons that we don't even really know. Before we start dropping bombs on Arabs and, and what... And listen, there are bad people over there. Don't get me wrong. But how are we supposed to know the difference between King Assad and the rebel forces that he's fighting against? How are we supposed to know which side to choose there? We don't. We never do. And any time that we start picking sides over there, we inevitably choose the wrong side. Just like when Obama was in office and we were, for whatever reason, backing the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. And that turned out to be such a big mistake that the Muslim Brotherhood is now banned in Egypt. They were driven out. They were shot and killed. And there was a big overthrow of that whole situation. Bush went into Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, for a little while, it seemed like the good, the smart move. I mean, some of us thought at least Afghanistan had a, a decent justification. But as it turns out, it didn't. It was a big mistake. And Bill Clinton went over to Haiti and we were fooling around in Somalia. Let's fix the stuff here. Like if you see your neighbor has some shingles missing on their roof. Meanwhile, your house, you have a like walls to paint and stuff. Do you like go over to your neighbor's house and fix their shingles first? Or do you worry about your own place? Me, I want to fix my house first. And then maybe I can help my neighbor with their problems. I don't know. The United States seems to want to fix everybody else's problems. Meanwhile, we have our own glaring issues. I don't know. If I was homeless right now in this country or if I was uh, in poverty and I saw what we're doing for other countries, I'd be like, why am I not living there? They seem to be getting better treatment than we are. I don't know. And I know somebody out there is probably going to say, well, see, Mike, you're sounding like a liberal right now. No, I'm not. I'm just sounding like a person with common sense. It's common sense. Fix your own problems before you start fixing the problems of everybody else. I don't know. That's how I handle things. That's how I roll. 
right. Anyway, well, 30 minutes went by just like that of an opening segment. See, this is just going by way too fast. As I figured it would, because we have so much to talk about that I haven't even been able to get into a tenth of what I want to cover. So that's just the way it is. And should the world still be here after tomorrow, there's still a lot of material to get into. Now, I have to take a break right now, and then uh, we'll get into more stuff. You know how that works. All right, we'll be back. We've been doing fake news since before it was cool. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com It was an early morning yesterday I was up before the dawn And I really have enjoyed my stay But I must be moving on Did. It's, it could be our very last podcast. Here we are on this Friday, the last Friday, September 22nd, 2017. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Groff Show at gmail.com is our email address. Michael Groff on Twitter. Michael Groff Show on Facebook. And for anything else Michael Groff related, it is the one and only michaelgroff.com. While you're there, you can donate to this show. You can listen to old shows, previous shows. I hate to call them old shows because, you know, if you haven't heard it, it's new to you. Near all of our podcast era shows. Those go back to 2009. Um, I wanted to put up all the old shows from the from the live era also, but I just think that's too daunting a task. That would take way too long. So I, at some point, you know, we're going to start presenting more of those best of shows that have some of the... Uh, uh, older material, and we'll do some Michael Groff show shuffles where you just get random segments from old shows because some people want to hear those. And it's kind of interesting to listen because you can hear the evolution of my politics as I went through my 20s and 30s. And uh, you will notice a dramatic shift toward the radical middle, as I call it. And there's definitely a, a notable shift in there. Uh, it's very interesting stuff. So we'll do that at some point. I wanted to roll out some new shows before I started to post uh, best of material because I have pulled a bunch of best of stuff, but um, people would be like, hey, what's wrong with you posting best of stuff without having put out any new material? What's wrong with it? So anyway, um, there we go. Uh, Hillary Clinton is out there on a book tour right now. She's got a new book out. It's called What Happened. And it's interesting because you really don't need to read the book. All you have to do is look at the cover and you'll get the answer to the question. The cover reads, what happened? Question mark. And below that it says, Hillary Rodham Clinton. But she's out there blaming everybody for why she didn't win the White House. Uh, if, if you see the interviews or if you even read the book, and actually this is one of those where maybe you should because you will get to see the laundry list that she puts out there of reasons why she didn't win. And really, the number one reason should be herself. But let's see who she blames. She blames James Comey, the former FBI director. She writes, quote, If not for the dramatic intervention of the FBI director in the final days, we would have won the White House. Well, except for the fact that 
it didn't really matter. I mean, that was not one of those things that made a big difference. People already knew about the email scandal. What you did or didn't do, it's not like he pressed charges against you. All he said was, yeah, you know, she didn't handle it the right way. She kind of screwed up, but it wasn't criminal. It was just kind of negligent, but not criminally negligent. It was just like she was not very bright when it came to how she handled classified material. That's really all he said. Let's see who else she blames here. She blames Vladimir Putin. Quote, I never imagined that he would have had the audacity to launch a massive covert attack against our own democracy under our noses and that he'd get away with it. So she's still on the Russian thing. She still thinks that, you know, the Russians cost her the election. Um, and that's just absurd. We've been hearing about this for a year now and that supposedly Donald Trump was connected to the Russians. And believe me, I'd love to throw Donald Trump under the bus for that too. But they've had all these hearings. Supposedly they had all this evidence. And then when it came time to present it, they came up with nothing. It was like, oh, the dog ate our homework. Or we need more time. Look, if you guys, you guys have been making this accusation for a year that it was the Russians. And if you made the accusation, you must have had evidence to show that it was the Russians. And yet, when it came time to present it, nothing. Haven't seen concrete proof. Because if there was concrete evidence, guess what we would have done? Probably, especially if we knew Donald Trump was linked to it, would have uh, locked him up. Or if we knew Vladimir Putin was with it, we would have brought it to the United Nations. We would have done a whole lot more than what we've done so far. And what it is, it's just a bunch of accusations. Speculation. We know somebody hacked into the Democrats' uh, email because that's how we know for a fact, even though it was widely known anyway, but we knew for a fact that Hillary Clinton rigged the system. She rigged the Democrat primary against Bernie Sanders. We know that. We know her campaign set it up so that uh, she would have as few debates as possible and have as little visibility as possible and that Bernie Sanders would therefore have as little visibility as possible and that the whole thing was set up uh, so and the primaries and everything else was set up to favor Hillary Clinton. We know that. So, But she blames Vladimir Putin. She blames Barack Obama. She says, quote, I do wonder sometimes about what would have happened if Barack Obama would have made a televised address to the nation in the fall of 2016, warning that our democracy was under attack. Maybe more Americans would have woken up to the threat in time. So she blames President Obama, even though he was out there stumping for her constantly. And there's Joe Biden. Of course, she thinks that Joe Biden is partially at fault, too. She doesn't think that he was out there as a strong advocate for her. And maybe there's some truth to that part, because I think Joe Biden wanted to become president of the United States. I think he wanted to run. And everyone thought that he was going to run. And I think people in the party pulled him aside and said, listen, uh, Grandpa Joe, uh, we'd rather have Hillary run here. Uh, listen, don't embarrass yourself. Uh, I think it'll get ugly if you run. So don't do that. And I think he begrudgingly stepped aside, but I think he really wanted to run for the White House, and I think he really had a chance to win. And I'll tell you this, I think if Grandpa Joe ran against Donald Trump, Joe Biden would have won. I think so. Hillary also blames the media. Quote, many in the, polit in the political media can't bear to face their own role in helping elect Trump. From providing him free airtime to giving my emails three times more coverage than all the issues affecting people's lives combined. Well, 
I don't know about all that. You know, look, the media was pretty much in the tank for Hillary. Even Fox News was more in the tank for Ted Cruz than they were for Trump. They didn't like Trump over there. Megyn Kelly hated Trump. A lot of those people over there on uh, Fox and Friends didn't like Donald Trump either. And they were very vocal about it. About the only guy at Fox that was clearly in the Donald Trump camp was Sean Hannity, even though he would claim that he wasn't. He was, I don't know. I'm undecided. I don't know. I like Ted Cruz. I like Rand Paul. I like everybody. You know, he's like the Jimmy Fallon of Republicans. He likes every Republican. But of course, he was clearly in the Donald Trump camp. But all those other guys over at Fox, there was, I don't know. It did not seem like they were fans of Donald Trump. So I would not say the media was uh, against you. In fact, the media was helping you. She also says the New York Times is to blame. She writes uh, that they did some, quote, shoddy reporting regarding her private email server. And she says also, quote, the Times was by no means the only or even the worst offender, but its treatment has stung the most. So she felt that the Times should have stuck up for her more. Uh, She blames Bernie Sanders and Bernie supporters, quote, his attacks caused lasting damage, making it harder to unify progressives in the general election and paving the way for Trump's crooked Hillary campaign. Uh, And she still has uh, certainly a bone to pick with these Bernie Sanders supporters. She writes uh, that uh, Sanders and the supporters impugned her character and made unrealistic promises. So, So she blames Bernie Sanders. Quote, I am proud to be a Democrat, and I wish Bernie were too, she writes. So there's a burn against Bernie. Uh, She blames Jill Stein. She says, quote, there were more than enough Stein voters to swing the result, just like Ralph Nader did in Florida and New Hampshire in 2000. Yeah, but the thing was is that you make it sound like people that were in favor of Jill Stein would have automatically voted for you. The reason they voted for Jill Stein was because they liked her they thought that she was more appealing than you. You know what's funny is I voted for Jill Stein. I didn't even vote for Gary Johnson because Gary Johnson blew it, in my opinion. The guy ran maybe the worst campaign ever. I know I'm sounding like Trump. Really, it was about the worst campaign ever. I've never seen a guy run a worse campaign than that. Gary Johnson was just horrendous. It was tremendously, horrendously, bigly, bad, sad, terrible. But really, it was. It was awful. The last time a presidential candidate won the popular vote but lost the election, of course, was in 2000 when Al Gore lost and uh, blamed uh, Ralph Nader for that. Hillary's not even done with the blame game yet either. She blames sexism for the reason she lost. Now, this is a two-parter. She's done these interviews where she says that it's really hard for a woman to be elected president of the United States. And that's just not something that uh, is, uh, she thinks that that played a role, that people didn't vote for her because she's a woman. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, that's just a bunch of bull crap. Um, Because maybe there were men that said, I'm not voting for a woman for president, but I guarantee you there were women, because I happen to know at least a couple of them, there were women that voted for you because you're a woman. Just like there were people that voted for Barack Obama because he's black. There were people that voted for John McCain because he was a war veteran. People sometimes vote for people for really strange, sometimes completely superfluous uh, reasons. It's just, that's the way it goes. 
Sometimes just shallow reasons. Like, I think if you vote for somebody just because they're a woman or a man, that's really shallow. But, hey, it's your vote, and I guess you have the right to do with it what you want. So that's you. And I would buy your argument that you couldn't win because you're a woman if we didn't have any other women in any positions of power. But we have women in Congress. We have women governors. There are women who are heads of state of other countries, prime ministers, etc. So the idea that you can't win because you're a woman, that's just a cop out. And then the other angle that she takes is the true sexism and misogyny angle. Uh, Here's what she writes about that quote. This has to be said. Sexism and misogyny played a role in the 2016 presidential election. Exhibit A is the flagrantly sexist candidate one. Well, that might be Exhibit A, but it's not Exhibit A in your column. In fact, that's Exhibit A that you should have won and you didn't because you're just a terrible candidate. You ran an awful campaign. You rigged the primary in your favor and still lost. You're like the guy in college that cheats on a test and still fails because you did it wrong. So for Hillary to blame anybody else but herself, and here's how you know. We had a guy running for president, Donald Trump, that literally said he liked to grab women by the pussy, and you lost to that. You lost to a guy that said he liked to grab women by the pussy. That is on you. That's not on anybody else. You can't blame Bernie Sanders. You can't blame <laughs> you can't blame anything but you. You have to look in the mirror and you have to own it and be accountable. It's unbelievable that you lost to Donald Trump. You lost to a reality show star. You lost to a guy uh, that you lost to an orange dude. You lost to a guy that used the word bigly or maybe big league. I don't know. Whatever. You lost to a person that picks fights on Twitter and that calls people like Rosie O'Donnell fat pigs. You lost to that. Because and the other reason you lost is because a, a pompous businessman billionaire was better able to connect to people in blue-collar states in the Midwest than you were. That's why you lost. There's no other explanation. Had you even taken uh, two of those states, had you taken Pennsylvania and Michigan, you would have won. Had you been able to take Pennsylvania and Michigan uh, had you been able to, you know, do what people thought you were going to be able to do and, you know, Wisconsin as well, Ohio, those states up there, you lost those states. You lost those blue collar states because a billionaire businessman, a pompous asshole was better able to connect to people in those states than you were. Yeah, of course, he was able to make promises that there's no way you'd be able to keep. I'm going to bring the coal jobs back. You know, those jobs that are long gone because... They're able to be done by automation or fewer people. It's just a lot more efficient now. And all those factory jobs that Donald Trump was talking about, a lot of those are gone too. So the blue collar stuff, I know he was better able to connect to those people though than Hillary. And at the end of the day, when you cut through all the BS, that's the thing that Hillary has to accept is that she just couldn't connect to the blue collar worker that she so desperately wanted to or thought that she had in the bag. She was too cocky. She was too arrogant. We talk about Donald Trump and his arrogance. Well, Hillary Clinton went in there with the idea, just like a, just like in sports, you see this all the time. The better team walks in with the idea of, oh, all we have to do is show up and we're going to win this game. And then the next thing you know, they're down by 20 in the fourth quarter. It happens. That stuff happens a lot. 
And it happened here, too. And Hillary just got, she beat herself. And I would have a lot more respect for her if she just came out and said, yep, you know what? That was all me. I screwed up. I literally lost to a person that said he liked to grab women by the pussy. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And I have to accept that and I have to live with that for the rest of my life. I don't know. Maybe this is an opportunity to work on me. That's what I would say if I were her, but I don't know. She's just not that introspective, I guess. Let's see what else is going on here. No more Uber in London. Seems the service has their business license set to expire on September the 30th, and the city is not going to renew it. And that means that the three and a half million people that have the Uber app on their phone in London, three and a half million people? My God, that's almost half the population of London has the Uber app on their phone, and they're going to have to find different methods of transportation if there is uh, if Uber is unsuccessful in their appeal to keep their business license. Uber says that they also employ over 40,000 people in London, and so some of them are going to have to obviously go for work. But of course, not everybody's upset about that. The Black Cab Service that's in London, their cab company, they're going to be able to go back to gouging people on a more regular basis if Uber is kicked out. So, And a lot of people in London are upset. There's a petition going around right now. I think it has, uh, last I saw, it was like 50,000 signatures. So they, there's a lot of people that are upset over this decision. So maybe Uber will stick around, but uh, if it doesn't, you only have about a week left to use it. And another embarrassing night for the National Football League. Oh, this is just becoming a disaster. The NFL has a problem. Last night, I don't know how many of you, and I'm guessing by the ratings, not many. I don't know how many of you saw the uh, L.A. Rams taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it was uh, a high-scoring game, kind of exciting in a way, ugly football, but 41-39 to the final score. But never mind that. If you actually watched some of this game, I saw a little bit of it. There was, like, no one there. There was no one in the stands. It was. Um, they say they sold 63,000 tickets for this game. There is no way there were 63,000 fans there, though. Um, there's pictures here, and I, I saw these live on TV too, but these pictures are, are even tell the story even better uh, that were taken by, who is this? By Lindsay Thierry, or Theory from the Los Angeles Times. And she took a picture right at kickoff, and you can see there's just whole sections that are empty, and there are several sections, there's lots of sections where there's more empty seats than fans. And it's unreal what's going on with the NFL right now. And the ratings are down too, universally, across the board. Ratings are down. And some people are saying that it has to do with the national anthem controversy and players taking a knee or sitting down during the national anthem. And I don't know about any of that. First of all, just a brief rant, a brief sidebar here. It's time for an unpopular opinion, but this national anthem controversy, and I don't even know why we're calling it a controversy because this isn't anything new. I remember as a kid in the 90s, there was a player for the Denver Nuggets named Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf who sat down during the national anthem. And it got a little bit of coverage on talk shows. And there was a little bit of uh, write-up about it in newspapers. Some columnists had some issues with it. And then that was it. It was over with and nobody cared anymore. So what's changed between like 1994 and 2017? Well, of course, social media is around now. And so everyone has to get upset and everyone has to have a cause on social media. That's just the way it is now. I don't know. Everyone has to have an agenda and a cause. So now whenever somebody does this kind of crap, it becomes big news. And Colin Kaepernick started this whole thing off and... 
I, I have to tell you, and this is the unpopular opinion. Well, this two, is twofold here. Number one, who cares? If somebody wants to sit down for the national anthem, who cares? That's their right. A lot of people fought and died for the flag and, and building this country so that people could have those rights, so that people could sit down for the flag. I know, I have friends that say, well, it's disrespectful, Mike. These guys are making a living in the United States. They're making a living off the NFL. They're, they're having a really good lifestyle thanks to this country, and they're just disrespecting the flag. All we're asking them to do is to stand for the national anthem. They don't have to. Who cares? Now, that's not so much the unpopular opinion part to me. The part that is, is here's what I, my solution is this. And this is, this is, uh, there's, I, I don't know, maybe this is me being fatherly in nature, but this is how I would handle the situation, just like how I would handle kids if I ever had them. When two kids fight over a toy, what do you do? You just take the toy away. I say no more national anthem at sporting events. Boom, problem solved. Everyone loses. I say no more national anthem. Works out perfect. No more controversy. You can't have people sitting down for a national anthem that isn't there. That's it. There. Boom. And I'll tell you this. I'll go a step further. The first team of the major of the four major sports, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA, the first team that says we're not going to do the national anthem anymore, I'll become a fan of that team. I don't care who it is. I don't even care if it's the goddamn White Sox. Well, okay, maybe not the White Sox, but just about anybody else. I will become a fan of your organization. I'll buy a hat. I'll buy your merchandise. I might even go to your games. I might even buy season tickets. I don't know. But I do know this. I'll become a fan because that will take some balls. And I would love it if if one team just said, you know what? You're right. We're not doing the national anthem before a game anymore. It just seems weird. And it is the only thing where we do the national anthem. We don't do national anthem before concerts. We don't do national anthem before other tournaments, just sporting events. You know, we um, we do the Pledge of Allegiance at school, which I, I always thought was odd. Even as a seven-year-old kid, I thought it was weird to be pledging allegiance to a flag um, and indoctrinating kids at a very young age for some reason. I, I don't know. I always thought that was strange, too. But the national anthem before sporting events is just weird. I don't get it. So... The unpopular opinion, just take it away. No more. They're done. But I guess maybe that's had a, a, an effect on the ratings. And you know why? Here's the other thing. This is part of the whole escape issue that I was talking about earlier, too. Sometimes you just want to escape. You just want to get away from the politics. And you want to turn on a, a, a football game and just get away from everything. Get away from the nonsense for a while. And it's really hard when you've got these networks. And I know that it's the networks that are putting pressure on these announcers. The announcers just want to do the game. They just want to call the play-by-play -play and do the color analyst. But they're being told, hey, uh, show the footage from the... We're going to record it. Show some of this uh, footage of who was uh, kneeling, who was sitting down, and who wasn't during the national anthem. So then I'm watching a game a couple weeks ago, and Tom Brenneman's there. <clears throat> All right, well, this guy was sitting, this guy's sitting down. Boy, oh boy. Not very patriotic today. And I know some of these announcers are in meetings, and they're like, why do we have to show this? This is garbage. But, you know, they're being forced to do so. And that's just, uh, that's adding to the controversy. And you know what? It's not helping the NFL whatsoever. They're not doing themselves any favors. But the also the, the problem is the product on the field is terrible. There is some really mediocre football being played. And on top of everything else, the other problem that the NFL is facing is a huge image issue with their players. 
You got these guys committing domestic violence. Like, for example, why is Ezekiel Elliott still playing? Why is he out there on the field right now? This is a guy that allegedly committed domestic violence, and he's still out there. Now, I understand innocent until proven guilty, but there's been plenty of other guys that didn't even have a trial, didn't even have their uh, their day in court, and the NFL said, all right, well, you know what? We're just going to go ahead and suspend you right now because it looks pretty bad for us to just keep shoveling you out there while you're uh, supposedly beating your girlfriend or your wife. So I don't know why the Ezekiel Elliott case is different, except for the fact that, well, it's the Dallas Cowboys. So that auto- automatically makes it different. The rules are different. And it's a guy that's actually good. If it was a terrible player, if it was like, you know, the 53rd guy on a 53-man roster, they'd be like, ah, you know what, we just cut him. Or we'll go ahead and suspend him. Nobody cares. And that'd be the end of it. You wouldn't even hear about it. But I don't know. The NFL just... As tough as Roger Goodell thinks he is or claims to be, I think this is just one of those cases where they're just dropping the ball over and over. And they're just allowing these dudes who beat their wives and do this crap to uh, continue to play. And I just think that's ridiculous. Now, I get it. Um, I'm not one of these guys that thinks that anybody that has the smallest little tangle with the law ought to get thrown out or whatever. I... I don't care about that for the most part. I don't care if you're a scumbag of a person, but I do think that if you break the law, you do need to be penalized for it. You do, you should lose your ability to play uh, in the league. I don't know. I guess I'm on my own. I guess I don't. Certainly Jerry Jones doesn't agree. And certainly Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL, he doesn't agree either. So here we are at this impasse. All right. Well, I should probably uh, go to break here. But frankly, I'm having too much fun. And besides, I still want to fit in a public schools update. And then we'll go to the break. Uh, If this is really our last show, might as well get this in before uh, the world comes to an end. Let's see. From Jacksonville, Florida, a middle school instructor who was named Teacher of the Year in 2016 now finds himself suspended. Well, new tonight, a Lakeshore middle school teacher has been suspended for one week without pay after school leaders say students flashed their breast, kissed, and groped each other in class. That happened in my middle school. You didn't see me going to the news about it. We never had a news story like that. Actually, my middle school wasn't really that cool. We uh, mostly just had people that got into fights. There were riots and people got stabbed on my campus. Like a knife was part of the dress code at my middle school, Creighton Middle School in Phoenix. It's no longer a middle school. I think it's K through 12 now, but man, was that place a nightmare. That was the that was far more dangerous than my high school. That was probably the most dangerous place I can honestly say I've ever been in my entire life for those two years. I hated every single day that I was in that middle school. According to the district, this happened during a game where students dared each other to do outrageous things. At one point, girls in the class were sitting on boys' laps and even twerking in the civics class. The students involved will be disciplined, we're told, by the school. The teacher, Brent Saudi, is suspended for not adequately providing supervision. Oh, really? Saudi was actually honored as the teacher of the year in 2016. 2016. That's an interesting delivery on that reporter. 2016. Hey, really was in 2016. Anyway, I don't know. Sounds like a pretty normal classroom, the way things are going now with uh, schools. I see all these videos that are up on YouTube. Every once in a while, I I go down the rabbit hole of chasing after some of these uh, videos, and one leads to another, and then before you know it, you've seen like 50 of them. 
from all these kids that have smartphones, which I don't understand at all. That's one thing I'll never get. How, how and why children have smartphones and why their parents allow it. But anyway, all this footage inside classrooms of teachers just yelling at kids, kids just doing whatever, throwing crap all over the, all over the place, and no learning getting done. There's one video I saw where this kid is in an argument with a teacher for 25 minutes, and the, the rest of the kids are just doing whatever. They're drawing stuff on the walls. and It's unreal what's going on. So I'm not surprised that we're not doing very well in math and science and reading as compared to other countries with this kind of stuff going on. My middle school wasn't that bad in terms of, you know, kids just doing each other on campus. That was my high school. We had kids that actually just had sex in the breezeways in my high school. It was a, it was a semi-regular occurrence. Sometimes security would come over and break it up and sometimes it'd be like, hey, you know, we're just going to let them finish and then we'll yell at them. We'll take him in. We'll give him a one-day suspension for that. You know, they've learned their lesson. Sure. And this isn't the first time Lakeshore Middle School has been in the spotlight. Just yesterday, a student was stabbed there during a fight. Now, that student is expected to survive. The student with the knife was taken into custody. I was stabbed when I was in middle school by a, a kid with a pen. He walked up to me and went, hey, Groff, and he just stabbed me right in the arm with it. And so, you know, that was something that happened. I had my stuff stolen when I was in middle school uh, regularly, like magnifying glasses or my books or whatever. I had my stuff stolen regularly, beat up regularly. Um, you know, it, this was something that went on all the time. And um, my dad would go down there and yell at the principal and the principal just took this whole attitude of, well, I'm really sorry that that happened. And, and then the kids in question would get suspended, but then I'd get beat up even worse. So that's pretty much, that was my middle school experience. So I'm not surprised that, hey, I wish I went to a middle school where kids were just like flashing their breasts. That would have been fun. See, middle school now would be a lot better. Like back then you were still expected to learn stuff. Like they still tried to teach you and tried to discipline you, but they couldn't do corporal punishment anymore. And the kids started to realize that they couldn't do anything. But they still sort of kind of respected the teachers. But then as soon as you got out of the classroom, they would just uh, punch you in the face and stab you with pens and pencils. And, uh, and they'd have slingshots with paper clips and shoot you in the eye with it. You know, that's, that's what went on in my middle school. My middle school was rough, man. That was uh, as ghetto as it gets. So I wish I went to a middle school where kids were just flashing their breasts and it was more about sex and stuff. That would be a lot better. I'd much rather have sex over violence any day, believe me. And I'm sure someone out there right now is like, Mike, you can't really condone this kind of behavior. That's just awful. Of course I don't condone the behavior. I'm guessing this teacher, who really should be suspended and probably should lose his job, I'm guessing what happened, though, is this guy is in the classroom. He's trying to tell these special little snowflakes to calm down and be quiet. And they said, you can't do that. I'm in my safe space. Nyah, 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 nyah. You can't tell me what to do. And then he's like, you know what? I really can't. And I can't beat the crap out of you either because they say I can't do that anymore. So, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and you guys do whatever you want to do. I had an art teacher like that in high school. And we had a situation where there was a few of us that were well-behaved. But for the most part, I think it was like 23 kids in that class. And probably about 17, 18 of them were just assholes. And it was a situation where the inmates were running the asylum. And many days she couldn't really do instruction. So what happened was she just sat down and she would say, you know what? 
I'm not going to sit here and fight you guys. I just don't have the energy. I don't care. She was like maybe a 40-year-old woman. Nice lady. And really, I was never a problem. There was a few of us that were just sitting there. I would just go in there and do my homework from other classes. First of all, a blind guy in an art class isn't going to be able to do much participation anyway. So I just did my work from other classes. I just used the principle of don't be a dick. So I just sat there, kept my mouth shut, did my work just like a few of us did, and that was it. And uh, the rest of them, she just said, I'm not going to fight you guys. You guys want to just go ahead and act like crazy people? Then that's fine. I, I get paid either way, so I don't care. And I felt bad for her. She was clearly over her head, but at the same time, there's nothing you can do. Um, they really just need to bring back corporal punishment, quite frankly. That's how you fix the schools. Uh, that and actually having meaningful discipline and not treating every kid like they're special snowflakes but that's just not going to happen. Uh, we just don't have that. Not in this litigious society. I'd love it. I'd love to see corporal punishment coming back to schools. And I'd love to see, uh, like my dad had, where, you know, if you mouthed off to a teacher or you didn't do your homework, you just got your ass kicked. You got your ass kicked in school. And then when you get home, you get your ass kicked again because your parents actually gave a damn. But I don't think that happens anymore. So I'm not excusing behavior like kids showing their breasts and twerking and making out and sitting on other kids' laps and doing whatever they want to do in class. I'm not condoning that behavior, and I'm not condoning the teacher, but I can understand how it happens nowadays. I'm surprised any learning goes on at all with the lax rules that we have now. So there you go. That's your public schools update, and our tax dollars hard at work, everybody. Good job, and good job to the state of Florida. All right, let's take a break. <laughs> When we come back, I got so much more stuff to get into. We have Lawrence O'Donnell who went full Bill O'Reilly. I could watch stuff like that for hours on end. It is just so entertaining. I love those outtakes. All right, more coming up. We'll be back. Broadcasting from a foxhole in the radical middle. You're listening, You're listening to the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Considering that it's the end of the world tomorrow, I suppose this is pretty appropriate music. I love Ghost. Isn't 
It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Friday, September the 22nd, 2017. Groffshow at gmail.com is our email address. That is groffshow at gmail.com. Michael Groff on Twitter, Michael Groff Show on Facebook, and for everything else related to this here program, it's the one and only michaelgroff.com. You can go there, listen to previous shows, and of course, donate to us. That's very important. At the one and only michaelgroff.com. We should have done this for a song of the day. I don't know if we're going to continue doing that bit, but this would be a great song to do it with. We talked about the health care bill. Uh, Rand Paul, by the way, he's another one with John McCain that says no on the health care bill. I don't even want to talk about that anymore. I'm, I'm so done with the health care stuff. All right, here we go. Let's get into some, uh, let's just get into some plain escapism via stupid people doing stupid things. That's one thing that we really love to talk about on this show. And uh, something that's been missing from all of our lives. A Florida woman, tired of living without power after Hurricane Irma did damage to uh, the entire power grid across the state of Florida. This woman was without power for a while, so she had this great idea. She was going to put up a sign. Uh, Her name is Kinsey Lee. She um, put up a big pink sign outside her Fort Myers house reading... Hot single female seeks sexy lineman to electrify her life. And wouldn't you know, it kind of worked. She's 37 years old. She's not bad looking. And she put this sign out there. And within a day, a couple of linemen went out there and fixed it up. They got the power going. And uh, they came back. They left her a note, by the way. The two men got her power back and left a cheeky and slightly desperate sounding note under her sign that read... Power on due to your PPL lineman. I don't know what that means, but there you go. And if you're wondering whatever happens to people that win the Powerball, you know, a lot of these guys, they win the Powerball, they go broke. I think it's something like 77, 79% of all winners of major lottery jackpots end up going bankrupt within five years. A few of them manage to hang on to the money, and then there's this guy in New Jersey. Uh, This guy, um, he lives in, I guess, Wayne, New Jersey. He won a $338 million, $338 million Powerball jackpot. He's now being charged with sexually assaulting a child over a three-year period. Prosecutors said on Wednesday, Pedro uh, Cazada, 49, is charged with two counts of first-degree aggravated sexual assault, two counts of second-degree sexual assault, and one count of second-degree endangering the welfare of a child, according to Passaic County Prosecutor Camela M. Valdez. The female victim was sexually assaulted between the ages of 11 and 14 when Cazetta lived in Passaic. He won a $338 million jackpot in 2013, and he bought one lottery ticket and two ice-cold Corona beers every week. Well, every, like, four days or whatever, you know, so twice a week for the lottery jackpot, for the lottery drawing. 
Lottery officials said that Cazetta took a $211 million lump sum payout. So, wow, this guy had over $200 bucks, and he still blew it. In an interview four years ago, Cazetta, a former bodega owner, said that he had mixed feelings about winning the lottery. Yeah, he basically said, man, now that I'm winning all this money, people are going to watch me closer. It's going to be harder to rape kids. Quote, when I found out I had the winning ticket, I felt pure joy and happiness because I can help my family. He said in March 2013, when he officially claimed the prize at the New Jersey Lottery headquarters, quote, my life will change because of it. So much money, but it will not change my heart. Oh, that's good. You know, too bad the money didn't change your heart, dude. Eight months after his win, his former uh, live-in girlfriend took him to court for not sharing the jackpot, according to published reports. The suit was later dropped after the two agreed in a settlement. Kazada also was accused of reneging on a promise to pay the rent for all his neighbors on his block, according to published reports. This is the problem with the lottery, man. Uh, people that play it are generally idiots. You know, people that, especially people that play it regularly, you're generally idiots because uh, these guys, you know what winds up happening. They're always the guys that make these lofty, if I ever win, man, I'll pay for everybody. I'm telling you, the first thing I would do if I won Powerball, well, this guy's clearly, obviously, he doesn't make very good decisions if he's raping children. Anyway, the first thing I would do if I got a hold of a lottery jackpot like that First thing that happens, this phone that I'm holding in my hand, my beautiful, brand new Samsung Galaxy S8 Plus, this thing's going in the drink. That's the first thing that happens if I win the uh, Powerball. Uh, the next thing that happens is, anybody that knows me, uh, if you get a call from me within about two days of my winning the Powerball, you'll know that you're still uh, one of my friends and that you're not disposable. Otherwise, you're gone. That's it. Uh, there's a lot of people I'm never going to talk to again if I win the Powerball. <laughs> and I know, well, you actually, you know what? I, w I take it back. I wouldn't throw my phone in the drink. I always say I'm going to do that, but you know what? I wouldn't. I'd keep it for a while. I want to see who would call me. I want to see what numbers suddenly show up on my phone. I want to see what ex-girlfriends suddenly call me. I want to see uh, what people that were assholes to me in high school suddenly think I was so awesome and so great. I want to see what family members, what distant family relatives uh, turn up out of the woodwork. And of course, people I've never heard of that claim they're part of my family that would turn up. Actually, I think it would be fascinating. I would continue to do this podcast. My podcast would be called, Here's the Assholes That Called Me Wanting Money From Me Today. There's a few people I'd share the money with. There's no question. There are people in my life that would absolutely get some money. Some people would get more than others, and I know that would piss people off. And here's the other part. I, it's the social experiment of all because some people I know that are more kind of acquaintances, I'd give them some bucks. I'd give them maybe 10000 or 50000 and they would say, is that all? Is that all I get? All right, well, fine. You get nothing. I can think of a couple of people that would get a, a good amount of money, but, you know, and what's going to happen after this podcast is someone's going to ask me, hey, Mike, am I one of those guys? If you have to ask me if you'd be one of the people that would get money from me, then the answer is no, you wouldn't. Because if you even have to ask me, then you clearly don't know what your standing is with me. And you clearly are probably not close enough to me to ever get money from me. You're probably not close enough to me to get money now. And I'm, I'm just a poor guy. 
So you would never get money from me if I. But that would be fascinating. Oh man, I would hold on to that phone. I would not throw it in the drink. I would absolutely hold on. I'd get a brand new phone that would be just for the friends that I actually care about and the people that I actually care about. But I would keep that old one, man. And I want to see every single text. I'd publish every single text and phone call that came in. All the voicemails, I'd put them up there. Oh yeah, that would be a podcast in and of itself. Here's all the voicemails from people that think that they're going to get money from me today. Yeah, guess what? Uh, No. I'd probably, you know what would happen? I'd give, I'd, I would tell them that I was going to give them money and then I wouldn't do it. That's what I'd really do. You know, one of those people from high school, Mike, I really thought you were great in high school. Yeah. Then why did you, you know, why did you yell at me every day? Why did you tell me I was a piece of crap every day? Oh, I didn't do, you know, I was just playing around. You know that, right? Oh, sure. You know what? I'm going to take care of you, man. Here, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand. Cool. Never return the call. All right. Let's see what else here. Joe Arpaio. Our former Maricopa County Sheriff. Of course, everyone knows who he is now because, well, he was America's toughest sheriff. He's the guy that whenever he talks, he kind of sounds like, I don't know, John Wayne with Down syndrome uh, combined with a child throwing a temper tantrum. Like, imagine, imagine, you know how, uh, yeah, uh, like an uh, an 80-year-old man combined with a child throwing a temper tantrum. That's how he speaks normally. My deputies and I, we go around and we round up these illegals and we throw them out of the country. All right. So, of course, he got national recognition uh, recently, of course, because he faced criminal contempt charges for pulling over and racially profiling people here in the state of Arizona. Judge issued a criminal contempt case saying, hey, you can't do that anymore. And he said, yeah, I can. So he got cited for criminal contempt. Donald Trump pardoned him. And now he's going around doing interviews everywhere. And he's basically saying, well, I got, I did whatever I had to do. My deputies and I, we did raids on buildings and homes. We rounded up those illegals and we got them out of here. It's hard to believe that that guy was sheriff here for 20 years, over 20 years. I guess it's actually not that difficult to believe because the old people ate it up because he did all those, um, you know, those kind of weird sort of gimmicky things to prisoners. I mean, I didn't really have a problem with him doing the pink underwear and, you know, taking away the porn mags from prisoners. Some of that stuff I didn't mind. The problem was... This guy never saw a camera that he didn't like. He got in front of a camera at every opportunity to let you know exactly what he was doing and to let you know how great the guy was. I took away their, I gave him green bologna sandwiches and I took away their porn mags and their coffee. This is not a country club, it's a jail. And I, he set up Tent City so that you know prisoners had to sit out in the 110 degree heat people especially that uh, got pulled over for DUI and again i didn't have a a problem with all of it but some of it i just thought was just so lame but the thing that of course he got busted for was the um, pulling over people he uh, we had a problem in arizona apparently it became a a crime to drive well mexican I didn't know that, but apparently that was uh, Sheriff Joe's policy. You can't drive in a stable Mexican because I'm going to think you're an illegal. And my deputies will pull you right over. So now he's doing interviews everywhere. And one of the interviews that he gave was to a publication called the American Free Press. 
They did a whole article on Joe Arpaio in September, September 15th. Uh, a piece published, let's see, by Mark Anderson stating that they recently interviewed Arpaio to combat the false narrative that Arpaio had engaged in racial profiling, whether he did or didn't. It doesn't really matter because the interview that he did uh, apparently is uh, not being well received because this publication, the American Free Press, has been known as a Holocaust-denying publication and one that <laughs> is repeatedly and frequently cited as being anti-Semitic. Well, there you go. I don't really care about the Jews. And you know what? I wasn't there for the Holocaust. Actually, Joe Arpaio's old enough to know whether or not the Holocaust happened. Well, I wasn't there. I can't say for sure one way or the other. If they were illegals, they probably deserved it. The Anti-Defamation League has described the American Free Press as, quote, an anti-Semitic conspiracy-oriented newspaper that attracts the most vitriolic anti-Semites. The New York Times wrote that the late uh, Willis Carto, who helped found the publication, quote, used lobbying and publishing to denigrate Jews and other minorities and galvanize the movement to deny the Holocaust. So that's something that you really want to give your time to there, Joe. Good job. Joe Arpaio. America's toughest sheriff. That's me. I'm America's toughest sheriff. All right, dude. Settle down. Anyway, so um, good job, Joe. I, I see you're really making use of that freedom that the president granted you. <laughs> what if Donald Trump is sitting there going, well, you know what? In retrospect, probably should take back that pardon, except I can't now. So whatever. I, Donald Trump's probably happy, but, you know, I've done, I've done 10 interviews with that publication. Great people. What an amazing publication that is. Wonderful publication. Huge publication. Probably, I, I, I would say this, Really, probably the greatest publication I've ever done an interview with. Great people. All right. Well, that's all the news that you guys care about, right? So maybe it's time to get back into one of my favorite newer segments on the podcast. Yes, there's all the news that you guys like and that you guys care about. And then there's the stuff that, well, frankly, I don't care about. But somebody has to. Who gives a fuck? that the media wastes valuable newsprint megabytes and airtime reporting. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? And the only question we're left asking is, who gives a fuck? It is our ongoing effort to expand the demographics of this program, and that's why I talk about stories that I might not necessarily care about all that much, and maybe some of you in this audience aren't necessarily that into but somebody must be because they're getting published in newspapers, magazines, online. They're on TV, radio. Somebody is wasting airtime on them. And so that's why we present them here. For example, Marilyn Manson. Remember him? I just heard a Marilyn Manson song on the radio the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He was around for about I don't know, a couple of years. He was married to Rose McGowan. And you know he did a he did that cover of Sweet Dreams. He had a couple of hits, The Dope Show, Beautiful People. In fact, I think uh, let me see, let me pull that up. Here we go. Since we're talking about him, anyway, might as well jam a little Marilyn Manson here. Anyway, this is relevant because he says he blames the downturn in his career. You know, 18, 19 years ago. 
He blames the downturn of his career on Columbine. Yes, Columbine, the the school shooting. Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris, they shot 12 students and a teacher in Colorado in 1999. Uh, He says following the tragedy, uh, reports emerged that the two kids listened to Marilyn Manson's music. And it was even claimed that the duo were wearing Marilyn Manson t-shirts when they embarked on their shooting rampage. Now, of course, these claims turned out to be untrue, but Manson admitted during a new interview with the Guardian newspaper in England that uh, it still had a drastic negative effect on his career. Quote, give them the money and let them make their own choice, guns or records. If Klebold and Harris had just bought my records, they would have been better off. Certain people blame me for the shootings at schools. I think my numbers are low, and hopefully they go up on my upcoming record. This guy's still making albums. But honestly, the Columbine era destroyed my entire career at the time. No, it didn't. The fact that you... Look, you did a cover of Sweet Dreams. It was passable, I guess. And then you had this song, and... Yeah, it's kind of a punchline of the 90s. And then you had that song, The Dope Show. This song. And that was pretty much it. Other than those songs, I want someone, without looking it up, someone name a Marilyn Manson song. I'll, you know what? I'll give you a few seconds. I'll wait. To make us feel so Exactly. You can't name anymore. Anyway, Manson's first album after the shooting was 2000's Holy Wood in the Shadow of the Valley of Death and had disappointing sales. During an interview with Larry King in 2013, the singer admitted to that he knew the shooting would have an impact on his career when he heard the news. That was his first thought. He hears the news about a school getting shot up. He goes, well, there goes my career. (laughs) Marilyn Manson. Now Manson says he's attempting to move on from the Columbine era. Yeah, I would sure hope so since, you know, that was 18 years ago. He's gearing up to release his new album, Heaven Upside Down. All right, so there's your Marilyn Manson news. Look for that new album appearing in stores everywhere. Actually, there's more Marilyn Manson news. So maybe I should pop this back up. How about that? Apparently, and I didn't know this, Marilyn Manson was in a feud with Johnny Depp and Nine Inch Nails frontman Trent Reznor. And this has apparently been going on for quite a while. Who knew? Who cared? Well, now you know. But he says that they've made up. So there you go. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Those of you that were concerned how that Johnny Depp, Marilyn Manson feud was going, know that it's over. And that, in fact, there could even be a collaboration at some point between Trent Reznor and Marilyn Manson, neither of which I had any idea were still making music, but apparently they both are. I know, right? It's weird. The 90s ended and they didn't. But yet, I haven't seen any of their songs appear on any charts anywhere. I haven't heard them on the radio. 
It, it is weird how some of these guys just fell off the face of the earth. So he gave an interview here. He says that, uh, oh yeah, he'd be very interested in doing a collaboration with um, with Trent Reznor at some point. Well, of course he would. If I was a musician and I wasn't making any money anymore um, and I was kind of hoping to hook up with someone that might have a little bit more clout, yeah, I'd probably be willing to do that. All right, now that's your Marilyn Manson news. Let's see what else is happening here. Jerry Lewis, who died a couple of weeks back, he's a dick. We know that. How much of a dick is Jerry Lewis? Well, they're going through his will now. And what do you know? He didn't leave his kids anything. The guy that, you know, very famously had the telethon for Jerry's kids. Well, Jerry's actual kids were treated like garbage, at least um, in the will. The comedy icon and host of the Muscular Dystrophy Association's annual telethon signed his last will and testament in 2012 and excluded by name his sons that he shared with his first wife, Patty Palmer, according to uh, news reports here. Quote, I have intentionally excluded Gary Lewis, Ronald Lewis, Anthony Joseph Lewis, Christopher Joseph Lewis, Scott Anthony Lewis, and Joseph Christopher Lewis and their descendants as benefactors of my estate. It being my intention that they shall receive no benefits hereunder. Wow. Now, with his sons omitted, Lewis leaves his potentially massive estate to widow Sandy Pitnick. The next person in line after that is the couple's 25-year-old daughter, Danielle. Lewis, 91, died in Las Vegas last month from heart failure. His marriage to Palmer lasted from... 1944 until 1980, he was 56 years old in 1983 when he married Pitnick, a Las Vegas dancer, <coughs> stripper, who was 32 years old. So there you go, Jerry Lewis, man. Still getting him from the grave. Good job, Jerry. I'll tell you what, I'm actually pretty proud of that. Again, if I had Powerball winnings or if I had an actual estate... You know, I probably would actually leave my kids something if I had kids. But then again, if they were jackasses, if they were jagoffs, I wouldn't leave them anything. You know, you're not required to leave your kids something just because they're your kids. But at the same time, I don't know. It does seem like a dick move. He just seems like an ass. He just seemed like a miserable guy, Jerry Lewis. He did good things for charity, but not for his own family. Well, there you go. All right, Netflix has removed an episode of a cartoon series after viewers claimed that they saw a penis etched in the background of a scene. The supposed phallic image was etched into the tree trunk in the children's show, what is this, Maya the Bee, which one mother spotted and immediately expressed her concern on Facebook. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I went to sell little Dylan down so he can watch his, his little TV shows. And so I could just go off and do whatever I'm going to do. I use the TV as a babysitter now, don't you know? Quote, please be mindful of what your kids are watching, Shay Robinson wrote. After sharing an image of the scene in question, I've seen this picture. I'm not seeing a penis there. I, mean, I guess maybe. I don't know. Does it really matter? I mean, some of these kids, when they take their pants off, see a penis. Others are seeing a vagina. I mean, they're seeing some sexual some sexual organ at some point. What difference does it make? It's a cartoon. Quote, 
I know I'm not going crazy. And I know uh, things like this shouldn't be on a kid's show whatsoever now. She added that she's ext- I'm extremely disgusted by this and there should be no reason my kids have to see something like this. Streaming service Netflix uh, has yet to give a statement about the episode which was animated by Studio 100. For now, however, young fans of Maya the Bee will have to skip the first season's 35th episode in the U.S. So there you go. That's uh, big news, big Netflix news. I know people saw that with The Little Mermaid, too, so they had to pull The Little Mermaid uh, off the shelves. And remember, uh, there was some controversy there that they were seeing testicles or something. Yeah, that looks like like cock and balls right there. I'm not going to allow that. Well, it didn't look like anything. Who framed Roger Rabbit? There's... There's lots of these frames where Jessica Rabbit is naked. And you can see they drew a, a rabbit vagina on her. Rabbit snatch. Okay. You know what? Settle down there, guys. It's it's okay. It's okay if there's actually something uh, nudity and whatnot. I understand you're protective of your kids. I get it. But come on. Let's calm down a little bit. And I initially put this in the who gives a f- category. But this is actually a story I care about at least a little bit. I'm going to describe an artist, a musician, and you're going to tell me who I'm talking about. All right, here we go. Ready? Narcissistic, rich, will do anything and sell anything, lend their name to anything to make money off their fans. No talent. Made some really bad music about 40 years ago and uh, really just shouldn't have. And it's amazing that they're actually in the music business. But there you go. Now, that particular artist has quite an opinion on Donald Trump. One narcissist talking about another. All right, here we go. Of course, it's Gene Simmons of KISS. He's got an opinion on Donald Trump. Ready? Here we go. It's the beginning when somebody's running a race. I think he's made some awful mistakes in language and tone. But so what? Show. I don't care what you say or how you act. Give me results. If he can figure out North Korea... The Dow Jones Industrials, Wall Street, are on an all-time record-breaking high. They broke 12 record sessions with 22,000, almost 500. When I was asked to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, the Dow was at 7,800. We're at 22,000. That means more people are working, less people. So does business like him? A lot. He's going to lower taxes. By the way, just because the Dow is at 22,500 or whatever does not necessarily mean that more people are working. It does not necessarily mean that the economy is doing better either. It means that a lot of corporations are sitting on huge piles of cash. Yes, there are people that are doing better. Yes, there are retirement funds that are growing. Yes, there are certain people that are benefiting, not necessarily just rich people. But just because the Dow Jones is up, don't let that fool you and think that, oh man, the economy's going gangbusters. There's going to be more people going to work, more profit. The Dow, the country's richer than it's been in 50 years. Do I think he, by the way, President Trump does not give a squat if you like him or not. He's unlike any politician I've ever seen. He really doesn't care. And he's doing the job for one dollar. I like that. I think all politicians, if you want to serve, serve one dollar. So you take away all the people who are professional politicians who only want to get reelected. 
But if you really want to find out everything, go to GeneSimmonsVault.com. There you go. Of course, Gene Simmons always there to sell stuff. Always there. <laughs> He's this guy has never met an item that he wouldn't put his name on. I'm telling you right now, this guy would sell condoms with his name on it. He is he's like Rush Limbaugh times 10. Remember, we used to give Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly a hard time on the show all those years ago because they put their name on anything. Gene Simmons will put his name on anything. He'll do anything for a buck. Unbelievable. Well, when you don't have a lot of musical talent, and really, I'm not even mad at Gene Simmons for it. Look, if I could do it, if I had the, I don't know, if I was able to do that, if I could just put aside my own conscience, if I could just think of myself as being as amazing as he thinks of himself, I would love to be able to do what he does. I have a lot of respect for it. It just, it's just weird. It's kind of creepy that somebody thinks that highly of themselves. All right. Speaking of uh, somebody that thinks highly of themselves, I'm going to close up with this today. Lawrence O'Donnell, everyone's favorite angry liberal over there on MSNBC. What's the name of that show? Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell, whatever it is. I could listen to clips like this all day. I love outtakes. I I listen to those Casey Kasem reels of outtakes all the time. Bill O'Reilly, I love it. So it doesn't matter. Liberal, conservative, melting down is melting down. But it's just funny when it's Lawrence O'Donnell. This guy is such, a, he's wound so tight. And I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's like an eight, it's over eight minutes and we got to get out of here. But I just want to play my favorite part of this video. And obviously the people that work with him, incidentally, just like Bill O'Reilly, obviously the people that work with him are used to him melting down all the time. Nobody really overreacts to it. Nobody says anything to him. They just let him melt down and do whatever he does. And obviously somebody was taping and said, you know what? I've had enough of being bullied by this asshole every day. I'm going to go ahead and release this one. This is clearly something that he just does on a daily basis. And uh, somebody just finally decided to release one of these tapes, just like the Bill O'Reilly thing. It was well known that people on Inside Edition hated Bill O'Reilly, just like I'm sure they hate this Lawrence O'Donnell. And somebody just said, all right, here we go. So there's an over an eight-minute video. You can see the guy just... It's not just the audio, it's the visuals too. He's pounding on the desk. He's just waving his hands. He's he's got this look on his face that he's it's not even shooting daggers. The guy is just it looks like he's ready to explode at any second. Anyway, here's my favorite part of that video with Lawrence O'Donnell. Coming up, is Donald Trump going to be called to testify to Congress? Michael Iskoff has the latest on that. Stop the hammering. Stop the hammering out there. Who's got a hammer? Where is it? Where's the hammer? Is it on the... Go up on the other floor. Somebody go up there and stop the hammering. Stop the hammering. I'll go down to the goddamn floor myself and stop it. Keep the goddamn commercial break going. Call f***ing Phil Griffin. I don't care who the f*** you have to call. Stop the hammering. <laughs> Empty out the goddamn control room and find out where this is going on. It's either there or there. Oh, he was or so out mad. there somewhere. He was so mad at that control room that night, too. Like, if you watch the full video, he's just he's yelling at the control room. He's yelling at everybody. Uh, this dude is just not having a good day. Stop the hammering. 
<laughs> the woman talking in my ear was talking about the Labor Day special repeatedly every time we went to a SOT. Yeah, what do you mean in the conversation? Not in the Bush SOT, no. Out of control. <laughs> oh, I could listen to that stuff all day. And I know some of you probably aren't as interested in it as I am, so I'm not doing the whole video. But I mean, my God, is that just, that to me is gold. I could just listen to that endlessly, tirelessly. Anybody, anytime there's, there's outtakes like that, I'm there. I'll listen. Man, I never get tired of that. So there you go. Everyone's favorite angry liberal over there at MSNBC, Lawrence O'Donnell. How are the ratings on that show doing? Can't be going too well because he doesn't seem very happy. You never see Sean Hannity having a meltdown like that. Sean Hannity. My God. Now you can say a lot about Sean Hannity, but I'll say this. The guy's probably... He probably goes home and is just whistling Dixie every day on the way home. That guy has got to be just pleased as punch that he can get by at Fox News. He doesn't really have to do a whole lot. Just spew out Republican talking points. Get a liberal and conservative on his panel to argue with one another. Sit there. Chime in every once in a while. Take home a gigantic paycheck. There's no way that that guy ever yells at anybody. One thing, I, I got to say this. You've never heard any scandal about him. Anyway, that does it uh, for the show today. Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. Michael Groff on Twitter. Michael Groff Show on Facebook. And for everything else Michael Groff related, it's the one and only MichaelGroff.com, whereby you can go and check out our latest shows. Sometimes I write blogs over there. There's our old episodes, our previous episodes. There's um, ways to donate to this program, I know. Why would I donate to a show? You haven't done one in 18 months. Why the hell would I donate? Why would I donate? My deputies are going to go over there. I don't know. Maybe you just would like to because you think it's neat. Anyway, we'll be back with another episode again real soon. Provided that the world doesn't come to an end tomorrow. Otherwise, yes, within less than a year, I promise. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Good night, everybody. Everybody.